The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Asia podcast. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. Join us each day for the stories making news and moving markets in the Asia Pacific. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts and always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal and the Bloomberg Business app. Joining us now is Markets Live strategist Mark Cranfield with us here on the program. Uh, Mark, we are looking at the China markets, and we know that this big move by uh, by the banks is, is partially uh, trying to jolt investors out of their torpor and help the property market. Uh, as you look at markets this morning, you'll see some red numbers here. Will it work? Well, I think there's a little bit of disappointment that the although the five-year loan rate was was cut by a little bit more than people expected, there was no change in the one-year. And we also see saw China skip during the, the one-year medium-term facility at the weekend as well. So what we haven't seen is any short-term interest rates being lowered. And in terms of uh, markets, especially equity markets and bond markets, they're really a bit more interested in what happens with short-term rates than long-term rates. So that's probably part of the disappointment as to why uh, Chinese equities are a little bit soft in early trading so far. Do you really believe that rate policy is going to reinvigorate uh, the investor in the Chinese market? Right? Is it going to take something more than that at this point? I mean, given the kind of desperation that people have been feeling? It's only one of many things. I mean, as you as you suggest, I mean, it, on its own, no, it probably will not turn around the Chinese markets uh, very dramatically. It needs to be in conjunction with another a, a lot of other moves as well. And of course, you've got these big things like more fixes for the property market, more factors which um, support the the lending to the right sectors of of the economy as well. And you can see that Benin buying. Uh, stocks via ETFs and, and all those kind those kind of things will have to continue. You, it's not going to be interest rates on their own. It has to be some sort of a coordinated approach. And investors need to to really feel the love. They need to to sense that the Chinese government is pulling out all the stops to try and improve the outlook. We've seen some pretty solid gains in Taiwan and also Tokyo, but for the rest of the region, uh, it's really not been all that attractive. How much is China holding back the rest of the region? Um, not too much now. I, I suspect if we had this discussion uh, 18 months ago, uh, we probably, yes. We, but if you look at the way the world has moved on, particularly just look at the performances through 2023, uh, as, the, as the year wore on, China was becoming less of a factor for the rest of the world, even for the rest of Asia as well. So increasingly, investors are isolating China as a special case. So either you're interested in China or you're not. But whatever view you have there doesn't really affect your outlook for the rest of the equity market. So, um, which is a good and a bad thing. I mean, it's a, it's interesting in terms of emerging markets because China had been such a huge weighting in emerging markets, but now of course it's shrunk anyway because market caps have got so much smaller. So now people have to have two views: they have to have an emerging market view and a China view. I'm curious to get your take on something we were talking about yesterday, foreign direct investment into China last year increasing 
by the smallest amount since the early 1990s. Is this a reliable indicator that, that you want to kind of play in some way? Maybe it's the longer view here. Um, and, and what the story that it's telling right now is not a good one. Um, it isn't. And it probably also tells you quite a lot about some of the political differences that China is encountering with other countries, people putting on restrictions, trade restrictions and other barriers to entry. So that obviously will reflect it to some extent. It will also be because maybe people are not so optimistic on the on the growth outlook for China. There'll be a number of factors which affect it. Uh, that won't necessarily stop people from, from putting money into China because you also there are so many equities listed in China. And there are a number of very positive stories as well, particularly related to AI and certain parts of the tech world. But you need to be a very good stock picker. And some people are not willing to do all that much homework to find those those selective stocks. But yes, it's uh, it's probably a slight negative, but it won't change the views of, of many people who look at specific sectors of China. If your view is correct, Mark, that investors are separating China out uh, from the rest of the region, uh, would Southeast Asia be a good target uh, for investors to look at in that they didn't have a particularly good year last year? Um, while you did see some gains in some of the other uh, markets, particularly in the West and also, as mentioned, with, with Tokyo and, and Taiwan, uh, or is Southeast Asia really just too small to attract a lot of interest in foreign investors? Um, not too small, uh, but I think I've been in Asia long enough to understand that it's a, it's very risky to blanket Southeast Asia as one trade. So it's, you really have to go country by country. And there are some encouraging stories. So, for example, Indonesia. They appear to have got through these elections very smoothly without any trouble. Uh, it looks like there's going to be a, a, a gentle handover to the, the next presidency. That is a very much a positive because in the past, Indonesia has suffered for some from messy handovers from one president to the next. So international investors will look at that. It's a huge market, and Indonesia certainly has some potential now. If you, you look on the other side, just today we had the Thailand prime minister trying to intervene in the currency. Mm, That's not a yeah. good thing. <laughs> Foreign investors don't like to see uh, politicians getting involved in monetary policy. So you have contrast there in South Asia. So to go to your example of Indonesia and something that you were talking about a moment ago, where it's very much a stock picker's market versus going in and buying an index, would you apply the same kind of rationale or the same approach when putting money to work in Indonesia? Yeah, I think you probably would have to because you... Um, you'd have to try and gauge which sectors are already overextended or which ones have got catch-up value. And for that, you probably need to have quite a lot of local value. So you would certainly need to consult somebody on the ground who's been watching that market very closely to, to get a real sense. You could, of course, take a risk and just go across the whole index, but you will probably find your performance is not as good as it might be if you knew which sectors had the, had the undervalue compared to other sectors. Now, let's take a broader look here. Um, I, I'm going to say that I think it's only a matter of time before you see Hong Kong and China stocks start to rebound because so much has been discounted. So let's, let's say that if that premise is true, will it be hurt by a potential pullback in the U.S. because of inflation fears and also because of valuation levels and the size of the recent rally? Or in a sense, will it be helped by that? that people will actually take money out of uh, U.S. equities and, and plow into some of these Hong Kong and China stocks? Well, based on what we've seen in the, in the past year or so, I should think a pullback in U.S. markets actually will be a good thing 
for, mm. for several markets around the world because America seems to have sucked out a tremendous amount of yeah. investment capital <laughs> from other places. So maybe it will start to go back into other parts of the world. That would certainly uh, tighten financial conditions maybe a little bit, and, and the Fed might like that. When you look at the path of Fed policy, there's been a, well, a fair amount of aggressive betting that we could get as much as maybe 100 basis points in, in uh, easing this year. The market seems to be rethinking that in a major way after those hot readings on inflation in the states last week, both uh, CPI and PPI. What is your view on, on Fed action this year? Well, the the Fed do their dot plots for a reason. They they try to give the market an indication of where they think interest rates are heading for the rest of the year. And it's very clear their dot plots have a medium target of three rate cuts. Some Fed members only see two rate cuts. Well, the market is gradually coming closer to the Fed view of where interest rates are, are going. Of course, the Fed may re revise those dot plots when they when they meet in in march or june but for the time being the market is at disconnect with where the fed is telling them they're going so eventually the market has to get in line we had david einhorn on in an extensive interview uh, on bloomberg and uh, he was saying that markets are kind of broken now that value just doesn't work there's a lot of reasons behind it uh, we don't have time to go into that but are there some pockets of areas where you see value you're not recommending somebody buy it but you're 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 looking and saying you know this has been this has really been driven to an extent in one direction i think you there's always contrarian plays around the world in on a general basis uh, on a regional basis on a specific basis and it's probably that is exactly the kind of time when you see something like in the in the US when the the magnificent seven stocks drag so much a part of the investing money going in one direction that means a lot of people are being left behind so if you're a contrarian who can take the time to study from the bottom up you will always find something which has been left behind and that would apply to any part of the world i'm sure there are dislocations like that everywhere you yeah. look but you need to you need to do the homework Okay, I'm taking notes here from Cranfield. Short the mega cap, then go long the Hong Kong and China stocks. Both have been bombed out too much in one way. No, I'm just joking, folks. He is a Bloomberg Markets Live strategist, Mark Cranfield, analyzing the markets, but not recommending anything. But it's always good to take a look and to listen to programs like this where you get some ideas. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. And that is Mark Cranfield with us live. This is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want optimized for higher level analysis and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of visit bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more our guest is eric Jew, bloomberg economist covering china and hong kong so we had this adjustment in the five-year loan prime rate, Eric, and the market reaction isn't great. Uh, this is something that may take a while to play out. What's your initial assessment? 
Yeah, I think if you look at both one year, five year, actually, I think it's a mixed uh, signal this morning. So the five year cut is bigger than expected, and it's the biggest ever, I think, on record. So clear it is signal that uh, the government is worrying about housing market. You know, five years linked to the mortgage uh, uh, rate. So it's clear signal that uh, the housing market is still deepening the uh, declines, and uh, the, the, the the government wants to you know uh, step up with more supporting measures. But at the same time, but you have to remember that last year when uh, PBOC cut the MF in August, actually banks held the five-year rate. So, so part of the 25, yeah, the, the headline number is big, but part of it is probably that's a just catch-up, you know, of last August. So, so it's not not every of the 25 points is a new cut, I would say. So when you get a cut like this, the magnitude, obviously, as we just said, is greater than expected. Mm-hmm. Is there a lag period? Some a period of time where you would really kind of expect to see an impact in the real estate market? Uh, obviously, uh, if you look at what we had at the second half of last, uh, last year, lots of measures by the government, you know, trying to relax home purchase, down, uh, re- lowering the down payment, even including lower some mortgage rates in big cities. It's I, I would say it's helping on the margin, but it doesn't really change the big picture, right? We still, if you look at the macro housing market data until December, what's the official data we have the latest, the the, the market downturn is still deepening. There's no big sign of the market turning mm-hmm. around anytime soon. So so I think that the, the big problem now is not really that the mortgage rates are too high, right? It's not really the big factor. Yeah, it's, per, yeah. Yeah, it's preventing well, the buyers. One, one of yeah. the trends that we saw of late was uh, buyers being more attracted now to used homes uh, rather than new mm-hmm. homes. Uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, they can get a bigger discount there, and plus they're not buying from the developer then. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm just curious whether or not um, we we think that we just really need to see lower prices. And once we see, and that's not the end of the world. I mean, that's just something that markets do. I mean, you, you get a yeah. repricing and prices come down, people will yeah. come back in. That takes time and it means probably lower stock prices for the developers. Yeah, but but the thing is, nobody knows when it is the bottom, right? People if who is buying, they would expect the price to go down even further. So unless they really need a, a house right now, they can just hold, hold off. To until later. And uh, another factor you mentioned why people are more interested in second home is there's a risk that they're worried if I buy a new apartment, it's probably, it, it, will the developer be able to deliver it? Yeah. Right, that, that's a key risk. Mm-hmm. So they have to be very careful. What is the one thing that you're going to be looking at in the week ahead? I mean, we're coming back from the Lunar New Year. We've talked about some of the high-frequency data that was stronger than expected. Yeah. Is there a data point that you're keeping your eye on this week? I think next week, probably the most important is China's PMI data, right? both official and Taiping PMI. But, uh, you know, given the seasonal factors, we would expect PMI to show some weakness. It's understandable. We have a long uh, holiday in February. Although the consumption data looks good, the holiday spending... But we actually we had a, a closer look at the data. It's probably uh, a bit not as strong as the headline suggests because we have one more day uh, this year's holiday. And also, if you look at uh, the spending per capita by every uh, travelers, it's actually still uh, quite relatively low if compared to pre-COVID level or mm. even a few years ago. So that means yeah, more people are traveling, but they are not really you know spending. Every person. So you're calm, you're measured, um, but let's do a little swashbuckling here um, because you were talking about falling prices and 
it seemingly calls for a catalyst, okay? So if mm-hmm. you're swashbuckling, what's a catalyst? What can be a catalyst? I think people were looking forward in a few weeks. It's a coming National People's Congress, right? It's a usual annual gathering. So we would like to hear what's the plan of the government for this year. And especially uh, the key focus will be the fiscal budget this year. So are they really, you know, uh, going to have a larger deficit that they're willing to spend more, whatever you want spending. But I think the, 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 the key thing is now the consumers, household, you know, corporates, they're low confidence. They're not willing to spend. Spend. So the only way to proper economy is the government needs to spend. So that's the key thing, I think. I know you're an economist, watching. but I'm going to go out on a limb here because uh, there was a Bank of America survey. The One of the most popular trades continues to be being short China. Do you think that's increasingly risky, that at some point we're going to get the big bazooka that's going to create a big squeeze? Uh, yeah, I, I cannot comment on the market decision, <laughs> but I think uh, uh, market have been quite disappointed over the past year since the reopening. Right, everybody is expecting some bazooka, but uh, they never delivered. And uh, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that uh, the government is willing to, you know, have a big splash uh, bazooka. But I think uh, more, you know, uh, incremental or whatever you call it, uh, small steps or, or some easing is still going to uh, going to be seen this year. But uh, if anyone is expecting, uh, you know, uh, uh, like four trillion they have done in the past, mm. I, I don't think that's 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 likely. Okay, final question. Probably uh, time, uh, if time permits. Uh, uh, what what part of the Hong Kong or the Chinese economy is actually working right now? What's looking good? Uh, I think some sectors like uh, electrical vehicles, right? Some some high tech sectors, chips. You know, some sectors the government is willing to. It's a so called restructuring. They're moving away from property, but they're moving. You know, those uh, resources into these the the. the what they believed would to be the future growth engines for China. But uh, they are growing fast, but we also did some analysis. But so far, the share of like EV is still relatively small, so compared to property market. So I think uh, this will still take time for them to grow. But right now, we have to, you know, it's a period that in the transition period, we have to yeah. suffer some pain from the property market downsizing. Eric, thanks very much for joining us here in our studios. Eric Ju, Bloomberg economist who looks at China and Hong Kong. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's take a look at global fixed income now with our guest, Tu Hao Chao, head of fixed income for Asia at Robico, joining us from our studios 
in Singapore. Nice of you to stop by. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we've been talking about the decision of the big banks in China to uh, cut the loan prime rate, the five-year, by uh, 25 basis points. A bit of a surprise. Did it uh, take you by surprise? Uh, I mean, a little bit in terms of timing, but I think, uh, you know, the the situation is just yeah looking pretty dire, um, and a lot of the other policies are not uh, you know stimulating the market. But that is actually in line with the fact that we expect is it's a, it's a general economic malice that's a, that is a, a problem in China, and that can't be fixed uh, by pure monetary policy. I'm afraid. If feel about liquidity and whether or not some developers will have to sell assets to create more internal liquidity, uh, and if not, where else could it come from? I mean, uh, they can, but I think that it needs to actually come from sales, and that's what's really going to be, that's been the difficult part, which is why I think these uh, policies are meant to stimulate uh, demand, and the and demand is very weak. Um, for all the reasons I think your previous guest has talked about, uh, the this this is a this is a an adjustment that's going to take several years, and and I don't think that the market nor the policymakers can expect that uh, you know some changes in in policy rates will change that. But however, having said that, it's been near you know more than two years of this uh, this property malice, and hopefully we're hitting some bottom. Although I think a rebound, uh, a quick rebound, is probably not in the cards at the moment. So if we're near a bottom, maybe there's a little bit more restructuring. I mean, we've had a couple of attempts at restructuring a couple of these developers, and that failed. Haircuts, I think, would be in order if you're holding credit here. What's the risk, and how do you do you hedge that in some way, like in the CDS market? Um, I think restructuring of the companies that need to be restructuring is already kind of there. So I think it's very hard to, to, to hedge that risk, and they're very they're going to be very much case by case. I think the biggest problem within the restructuring market within um, the Chinese is that just there is no precedence, and then the fact that the participants, you know, are not acting in a concerted manner that actually helps the restructuring process. So it's taking longer. It's probably costing more because there is just no precedence of how to actually deal with, uh, you know, these uh, bankruptcy like we have in more uh, established markets. Some of the markets are not seeing the same stresses as China. Where are you seeing the best value in credit now throughout your coverage area of Asia? Yeah, so I think away from from China, and actually even within the China IG kind of space, uh, the companies that are, are surviving and stuff, you know, it's actually not too too bad for them, and the fundamentals actually holding up quite quite strong. So our investment grade is actually fine. And away from, and I mean, India, Indonesia, partially is, you no, know, they're all actually pretty holding up pretty okay. It, China seems to have its own uh, dynamics, but it's actually just the Chinese property segment, right? Even away from Chinese property, the industrial high yield names are actually holding up okay. Um, financing is available onshore uh, at relatively cheap rates. So net uh, net, things actually away from China property uh, for the credit market actually has been pretty good and spreads are quite tight to reflect that. It's interesting. I'm sure you're aware that we had the minutes from the Australian Central Bank meeting, and I think uh, they considered raising rates 
earlier. I mean, it would seem to be a, a pretty hefty <laughs> debate. And we're talking about now that the possibility that uh, there's going to be far fewer rate cuts in the U.S. than the market had been braced for. And, um, do we have to rethink um, this narrative that we've been talking about with, you know, we've beat the inflation dragon uh, and now we can look forward to rate cuts? Um, I think I was here a month ago, I mean, on the TV kind of saying that, you know, I think the market had got far too carried away about the March, uh, you know, rate rate cut. I mean, the, I think that the cuts will come, they may just come later and they will. And, and I think that's partly going to be mm. the, as some of the geopolitical issues that are leading to inflationary pressure being a little bit longer and higher than we're expecting. But eventually we'll get there. So we probably expect cuts later, but more. As a result. I, I tend to set aside these, you know, March considerations because mm. when we thought that we might get a cut in, in March and markets were doing well, and then when we mm. found out that we probably wouldn't get a rate cut in March, markets were still doing pretty well. Uh, it seems like there's a, a, a balance between investors caring about growth versus caring about interest rates. Where do you fit on that spectrum? Yeah. So, I mean, the rates... Um, are there to support growth, right? So they're, they're actually two of two sides, of, different sides of mm. the argument, right? So as long as the economy is staying strong, the, there's less need to, to cut, right? And then, and that's actually should be a positive dynamic. And then of course, one of the the other positive dynamics is that the ability to be able to be slow about those cuts, not having to rush them because you're dealing with a, a disaster in the economy. And I think those are actually very constructive for the economy generally. Do we need to rethink BOJ policy? Everybody was thinking that uh, the Bank of Japan had the wind at its back, so to speak. The next move would be to, to tighten. I mean, do we need to re rethink that as well? I mean, I think that Japan is quite unique. I mean, I think, again, we're looking for what happens with uh, wage inflation. I, I think if we just take a look at the U.S. as an example, we, we were really worried about wage inflation. And actually, we've had wage inflation in the U.S. And actually, it's been quite a good Good, good backdrop actually, and I think maybe the here the, the lesson could be learned is actually maybe not to be too worried and actually higher wages, higher kind of pricing power, particularly as we look to the domestic consumption as being a driver of growth, that shouldn't worry people too much. Uh, and so uh, in, in in Japan, should we not worry about recession, uh, you know, technical recession, but not likely I'm, to stick. Yeah, I think it's a technical recession, but I think, you know, there, there are other things that are going quite well for Japan, particularly as the market looks away from, from China, the Japanese market, which has actually you know, not, not had much of attention, will get more and more attention and as a diversification trade. So I think there are more stuff to be going. And I think the quicker the Bank of Japan starts to normalize rates, the, the more attention that the, it's going to get from the international markets. We'll leave it there. Tu Hao Chao, thank you so much for being with us. Enjoy the conversation very much. Tu Hao Chao, uh, head of fixed income uh, for Asia at Rubico, joining us here on uh, Daybreak Asia. This has been the Bloomberg Daybreak Asia podcast, bringing you the stories making news and moving markets in the Asia Pacific. Visit the Bloomberg podcast channel on YouTube to get more episodes of this and other shows from Bloomberg. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen, and always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? 
which companies from big tech to startups will dominate, and where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions, alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.